Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm your host, Kurt Flagel. And on this final show of 2020, the last show of this season, before we take a little break, we get to look back at the year in review. A lot of people see 2020 as a dumpster fire, right? As just a huge mess, just a year full of nothing but problems and trouble. But is that how God sees 2020? Was God in 2020 or was he not? On this show, we're going to explore that question as I get the privilege of being interviewed for a change. So strap in, buckle up as we do 2020 in review, along with my frequent host, Kim Ward. Well, this one's going to be fun. You get to interview me. Yeah, you get to turn the tables on me in a fun way. I do like turning the tables on you. It is one of my favorite things to do. And this will be a good one to do that because we get to talk about uh, God with us in 2020. We've talked about God with us via the homeless, how he is there with the homeless in the midst of the adopted. Two different groups who are marginalized in different ways. Yeah, now we get to talk about God with us for all of us in 2020. (laughs) I just keep thinking of the Ryan Reynolds Match.com commercial (laughs) that's running right now where uh, Satan gets paired through Match.com with with the year 2020. And the whole commercial is hilarious, but the ending is a lot of fun where they're sitting there and 2020 says, I hope this year never ends. (laughs) As as like these meteors are coming down, flaming meteors are coming down to hit San Francisco. Yeah. That's a lot of people's perspective, you know, on 2020. A friend of ours was saying uh, he's seen, you know, buttons and bumper stickers that say 2020 sucks and that kind of stuff. And, and his comment was, wait, isn't God here in the midst of 2020? And as soon as he said that, I knew this is what this is about. I've had those experiences this year. You know, a hard year for me, like everybody else. Yet, I've seen God show up uh, in the midst of that. So now we get to flip the tables and, and uh, you get to interview me about that. Yeah, <laughs> this has been a year for flipping the script and flipping tables on everything. <laughs> it certainly does feel that way. So, like, what are some of the things when you think about 2020 that you feel like, you know, it's been kind of a flip the table, flip the script kind of moments for you? So to begin this year, our church leadership began to pray and fast, asking God to show us where he was in the midst of of all that was happening in our church community because we noticed that uh, the number of people that were choosing to be a part of the community was dropping. Just slowly seemed like we were getting we were getting smaller, and it was consistent in the decrease for months and months. So to start off the year, we decided to pray and fast as a leadership team, and just put that before God, and ask Him to reveal where He was. We were planning a month of fasting, and it turned out to be three weeks, the way the schedule, when we could all meet again. And when I say fasting, I should clarify, it was not necessarily from food. We just put it before each other to go, what's hindering your relationship with God? Fast from that. Yeah, so that could be like TV or books or 
Netflix or candy or, you know, caffeine, anything that you're spending extra time or money on that could be time you're spending with God. Right. Idols. Uh, Yeah. And they can be anything. We have an incredible capacity as humans to create idols out of just about anything. Yep. You know, every gift is from God and man turns it often into an idol. So for me personally, I can't speak for the other three leaders, but for me personally, it was media stuff. I love my movies and I love TV a little too much at times. As that's an understatement. And, uh, and also, like, I just decided to, to fast from sugar as well. I found that eating sweets and things is a, a thing I, I, I do as a coping mechanism at times. So I fasted from all that. And in the process of fasting, I, I thought I had some good clarification from God as far as some direction for our church community. And I was like, okay, I think I, think I know, know where, where we should be headed, house church kind of format. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing that needs to happen. And yet when we came to meet together, God was like, actually, you shut up. <laughs> And you let your other leaders tell you what that they've sensed in the fast. I, I, you know, and I, I sense that because I have a pretty strong personality for, especially. I don't mean like necessarily like acerbic, but I have a lot of passion. And if I go first and I passionately declare what I'm hearing from God, that can definitely cause other people to shut up and just go along with what I'm saying. And I. Sense that God was like, let them speak. So I did. And immediately out of one of the leader's mouths was, yeah, you need to take a sabbatical. You need a three-month sabbatical. Well, I had all these things that I was going to talk about. <laughs> and, and, that, and sabbatical was not in there at all, right? Yeah. And as soon as he said that, I just, I just knew immediately that was from God. Because... The church community that I had come from before I moved here to the central coast of California, I was in a church community in Vegas, and they had this rule that if you were a part of the pastoral staff like I was at that time, after you served for six years, you could take a three-month sabbatical after every sixth year, in the seventh year. Yeah. And a year ago, I was thinking about that. Because I was entering my sixth year yeah. here, serving in ministry. And I was like, oh, in a year, if I was still at the crossing, I could get a three-month sabbatical. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm tired. Moving somewhere that I didn't really know anybody, kind of parachuting in because this is where God called us. But not knowing anybody, starting a church community was tough. And I was tired. I was more tired than I realized yeah. And so it was funny when that leader said, you need a sabbatical after three weeks of fasting and prayer, especially because I had not told anyone, not even my wife, that I was thinking those things a year before. So it was pretty amazing. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I knew that was from God. And that was, Jan- that was February. Uh, We'd been practicing contemplative prayer as a leadership group where we weren't making goals anymore. We were just coming together and praying about things and then coming back together and seeing what we sensed 
from God and and then making decisions based off of those things but going forward with more prayer in the decision-making process every step of the way, really. And so it was like, okay, well, what does that look like? You know, how do we move forward in me taking a sabbatical when there's nobody else on staff? We're, we're shrinking, we're losing people. So how does that, what does that look like? And when do I take the sabbatical? And so we began to pray again. And a couple of weeks later, COVID rears its ugly head and, and, uh, and restrictions start being pulled. And now we're on Zoom as a church community. And we're like, oh, this is going <laughs> to, this is actually going to help us in the process of me going on sabbatical. Because if we're just on Zoom, we don't have to worry about a lot of the details of setup, teardown, and all that kind of stuff, right? And so we pray through the month of March and we come back together probably the third week of March and I hear God say once again in a, in a more emphatic way shut up and let them tell you what they're going to do because whatever decisions are made in this meeting the other three leaders have to live with them because I'm going to be gone for three months right so they have they have to live with these decisions so God's like let them tell you what they're going to do and so I did, and they said, we're all going to take the sabbatical with you. And at the time, like in the meeting, I'd heard so clearly from God before that meeting. I just felt a sense of oneness with them and everything they were saying. I just, I just knew that God was in it, and I could agree with them, and we can move forward. So we made the decision that the whole church was going to go on sabbatical. Nothing was going to happen on Zoom or anywhere else for three months. And I also heard God say to me that it was going to be a time where I couldn't think about what was coming next. I had to trust him for the future and just rest in the sabbatical. And after that meeting was over, it felt like a wave of grief just hit me. So powerful. I mean, while I was in it, I was right there with them. But when, when it was over, I was just overwhelmed. It was so much. I didn't know what I was feeling, didn't know what I was thinking. I didn't know how to process anything. And all I could do was go on a prayer walk. And all I could do was like, just say, God, I don't, I don't know what I'm feeling or thinking. I, ha I have no way of just even starting to sift these thoughts and feelings. So I'm just going to, I'm going to hit shuffle on this worship playlist and whatever songs come up I just need you to minister to me and I'm just going to go walk and receive and I did and it was funny because like from that first song on it was God speaking the whole way and the first one on I'll, I'll never forget it was uh John Mark McMillan's future past mm. you are my first you are my last you are my future you are my past and I was laughing because I had no idea what the future held. God was just reminding me, no, I'm your future. I'm your future. You don't have to freak out. I've got this. I've got the three months where everybody's out and all that. So I go on sabbatical the day after Easter Sunday, 2020. And uh, really the three months were a time where God really highlighted to me how much I suck at resting and how... For many years, at a deep core level, I've mistaken escape for rest. Mm -hmm. 
I have confused and not seen the difference between escape and rest. So what is the difference? It's the difference between running from God and our thoughts and feelings or running to him. Even in my prayer life, I discovered in that three-month sabbatical that I actually escaped. My prayers were coping mechanisms. I have a reputation for being a prayer warrior. But what God revealed to me in, in sabbatical was that my prayers were often prayers out of, they were shoulds. Mm. I prayed of what I thought I should pray rather than pray out of what is. Instead of acknowledging honestly before God what I was really feeling and thinking, I held those things back and hid that within myself and prayed what I thought God wanted to hear. So I prayed out of shoulds rather than what is. And that's the difference between resting and escaping. I did not acknowledge, in, even in my prayer life, I did not acknowledge a lot of you know, what I was afraid of or my insecurities or my dreams or my struggles or my questions. And uh, during, you know, in the last year, one of the, the scriptures that he's highlighted for me is uh, in Revelation where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever lets me in, I, I will eat with him and he will eat with me. And that's this invitation to fellowship, right? But it comes from this invitation, this knocking of let, let me in. And so many times in the church, and this is even my brother-in-law's experience of how he came to faith, that's an invitation that the church has given to unbelievers. But in that particular scripture, just a few verses above that, John is told what he's hearing and seeing is for the church. And then right after that, Jesus says those words. Isn't it interesting? It's for the church. It's, it's for everyone. But it's for the church first because we do what the world does and, and we hide in ourselves, in our shoulds. We pray out of what we sh- think we should pray rather than what's really, rather than sharing what's really going on. I struggled with all this for six weeks. I was having a hard time resting and I was beating myself up, up over it. In fact, my sabbatical became this thing of where should I be in the sabbatical? There's the shoulds again. Mm. How far should I be in progressing in my sabbatical? And God's like, uh, you're supposed to be resting with me and letting me in and just letting me be with you and you be with me in the midst of this quiet, this slowdown that the whole world has experienced, this stillness. What I've discovered in that was God's invitation to just be with me. Okay. Right? Right? And what he began to show me is like, Kurt, I don't want you to do things for me. He's like, I want you to do this with me. And there's a huge difference. And doing things for me is still escape. Because it's not doing it with me. This is eternal life, as Jesus says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. To know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's intimacy. That's... Being, you can't be intimate with someone without being with them and sharing what's really going on in you. That's 
That's knowing somebody. Deep intimacy. And as much as I've spoken and preached and talked about that's what it is, is intimacy with God, God has shown me in my sabbatical how much I struggle with that myself. And the slowdown for me that the whole world was really uh, echoing, the slowdown for me was that invitation to be with him. When everything else fell away, God was like, I'm still here. All of this that's happening is me knocking out the door, saying, will you let me in? Will you let me in? I've always been here. I've always been good. I've always had everything you need. You're just not letting me in. Because I love you, I'm going to strip away everything that's hindering that. And so he took away everything. And so about six weeks in, he said, Kurt, stop prayer walking. Um, part of this is I have, you know, a disease called inclusion body myositis that is constantly attacking the muscles in my limbs, legs, arms, throat. So it was getting more difficult for me to walk around. At this point, I'm walking with a cane if I have to go long distances, and I'm young. Yeah. You know? Um, I consider myself young, anyway. And so God was saying in sabbatical, Kurt, stop walking. It's, be it's become a, a pattern, a routine, and it's not really helpful. You're, you're stuck in these patterns. And when you go walking, you pray out of what should. So let's break that pattern. Uh, in sabbatical, I want you to go down in your garage and sit at your little work desk down there, and I just want you to be still before me. And instead of you talking in prayer, I want you to just ask um, the, this question of me every day and then listen for the answer. And the question was, God, where were you in the last 24 hours? Where was your presence there with me? Where did I see it? Where did I miss it? And then sit and let me show you, Kurt, where I was. And he began to teach me to do that. And that, you know, and to listen and let those memories just rise to the surface without me having to manipulate things. Just let this, the memories rise to the surface. And they did. In the meantime, he would highlight those things that I'd missed before. The, the interior anxieties and fears that I didn't want to notice mm -hmm. and didn't want to deal with or surrender to him, you know. And instead of noticing them, I would pray out of what I thought I should pray, right? So he began, as I sat in the silence, waiting for him to bring those memories, the fears and anxieties that he wasn't going to do it rose up and and I didn't get to brush them aside. <laughs> now I had to just, what I call the, the AAA roadside assistance. Awareness, acknowledge, ask. Where I became aware of the things I used to ignore inside of me, the anxiety. I had to acknowledge it to myself and to God. And then I had to ask him to deal with it. And that became that morning pattern of just being still with him, asking him where he was for me in the last 24 hours, and then sitting in that, listening, and being aware of where I didn't trust him, where the fears and anxieties were coming from, acknowledge them, and ask him to show me where he was in that. As I was waiting for him to 
answer the first thing I asked, you know, and that became the pattern of awareness, acknowledging, asking. And it was just so beautiful. It was a different kind of prayer because it was way more listening. I just asked the questions and let him bring about the awareness. And then I would respond with acknowledging and asking more. And uh, that's how my scripture reading develops uh, every morning into what's called Lexio Divina, right? scriptural listening prayers, where I would, after all that, I would then read the scripture three times and ask God, what's your word that you're highlighting for me? And when I mean word, I mean phrase, word, sentence, whatever. What's your word that you're highlighting for me today? Second time, what's my emotional response? There again is awareness of what's going on in me as I'm asking him to show me what's going on within me. The third time I read through it, I would ask, what's your gift or invitation for me today? And then each time I, I would pay attention to where he was answering those questions. In the midst of the slowdown, in the midst of what the world would see as a really sucky year, where everything was being stripped back and taken away, quote unquote taken away. What God was showing was what God was giving me was Himself at a at a level that I had never received. He was breaking down my resistances and barriers to receive him more of who he was. That he and showing me that he was always he's always been there. He's always been giving. And I just haven't been receiving. And man one of the most profound scriptures for this year is John one twelve. For those who receive him, for those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. It's funny that name and rights are in that scripture both really um, point to the same word, authority. For those who received him, for those who believed in his authority, he gave the authority to be children of God. When we believe in his authority, he gives it to us. It's funny that James says that even the demons believe and shudder. So obviously believing isn't enough. And what God has taught me in this year is that it isn't enough on its own. There has to be, believing is also receiving. There has to be receiving. That God is giving. He's generous. He has sacrificial love. And he's giving us everything we need in every moment. But we're too blind to see it. Too blind to see our own resistance fighting against his generosity. It's funny that when, again in James, when he talks about the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, and he's the giver, of right, every, every good and perfect gift. What are the words that that starts off with? Do not be deceived, brothers. Why does he have to tell us? Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, the Father of the heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. Why does James feel the need to preface that highlighting of God with the words, don't be deceived? More often than we realize, we buy into the lies of the enemy that God is condemning, that he is judging, that he's against us, that he's punishing us, that this is God's you know, wrath on us for not believing when God's wrath doesn't work that way. 
In Romans 1, it says, this is God's wrath. In his wrath, he gives us over to the things that we want. In his wrath, he gave them over to their desires for death. People who don't believe him and don't receive from him are just chasing after death. Because he is life. And so for those who believe and receive, they're gaining life. If we reject him, we're chasing after death. And in his wrath, his wrath over us not trusting him, that he is really good and generous. He gives us what we're pursuing when we pursue death. So God is always giving. He's always generous. Even in his wrath, he's generous to give us what we want. But it isn't what we need. And he knows that. And he's always giving us what we need. But if we refuse to accept what we need from him, he gives us what we want when we pursue death. Even in the Old Testament, God, the last thing Moses did is what God told him to do is plant them before two mountains. One represented life and one represented death. And God said, choose life. Choose life. And in this year, he's been stripping away a lot of things that people have been pursuing that represent death. And we look around and get mad at him. And he's there saying, I'm actually stripping away everything that's hindered you from receiving what I really have for you. And it's funny that this all started just before 2020 started in the fall of 2019. I was reading about uh, in John, I think, 13, where Jesus is, strips off all of his outer clothing and then washes his disciples' nasty, dirty feet after they've been walking on in sandals on dusty, dirty roads uh, covered in animal excrement, right? Mm. They've been walking on this. And in those days, it was the lowest slave or the place of lowest honor to wash the feet of the people who came in from long travels into your home as guests. And there was no, for whatever reason, there was no servant there, right? And each of the disciples, each of his followers come in and they see that, you know, they see the, the wash basin and, and materials and they, and they ignore it. And then Jesus gets up, strips off his outer clothes and washes their feet. And back in fall of 2019, I saw very clearly in my mind Jesus at my feet, washing my feet, taking care of everything that I needed to be cleansed of. And he's looking up at me, and contrary to what are my thoughts and, and many people's thoughts and feelings about God when we sit in prayer you know, we feel the condemnation. We feel like the sense of judgment. We feel the sense of, of discomfort, of awkwardness, of getting naked before him as an insecure sensation. And in that moment, as I, as I saw Jesus at my feet, that he was looking at me in the eye. And I, can't, I couldn't tell you what his facial expression was, but I'll never forget those eyes. I'll never forget those eyes, Kim. All I saw was love, a deep, abiding love. And it wasn't some sappy kind of like weak love either. It was a strong, amused love. Like he had, he had a little bit of mischievousness like in his eyes. He, there was a, you know, an impish grin in those eyes as he looked up at me. 
And he had his hand out towards me. And in those eyes, I saw the invitation uh, of serving. Come down and, and have my servant's heart and, and lower yourself to serve others in the way I am doing for you. And that was the hand. His eyes were full of love and his hand was out as an invitation. Come down here with me. And how can you not, when you see the reality of his love, how can you not take that hand? And I did, immediately. And immediately, I descended into the place of lowly serving with him, only to be surprised that when I looked down, he was at my feet again, washing my feet, serving me. And the message was clear. Kurt, this is the journey ahead of you. Come down here, lower still, but I will always be lower still. I will always, no matter how low you go in serving others, no matter how low you, how much you strip yourself of your outer self and make yourself vulnerable to other people, I will always take care of you. I will, no matter how vulnerable you get, and naked you get before others. And I will always be there to serve you and take care of your needs. There will be woundings, but I will take care of you. And I will heal you. And I will provide everything you need. No matter how much you give yourself away, I will take care of you. And another thing that popped into my mind was that sense of condemnation we all run from and hide in ourselves, like that insecurity that God's judging us and looking down at us. Here was the reality of Jesus at my feet. What he was saying to me also was, I'm never above you. I'm always at your feet serving you. So how could I ever look down at you and point my finger at you? I'm right down there. And there's the truth of Romans 8.1, right? Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is where I think the chapters and verse number, the numbering system that we have can be a detriment because that's the beginning of chapter 8 in Romans. But if you go back to chapter 7, what's it all about? Paul lamenting that what I want to do, I do not do. What I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this? And then he says, only Jesus can. And then he says, but now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Really, Romans 8.1 is the end statement of Romans 7. That's the place of freedom. And all this wrestling, God is right there. Saying, I'm at your feet serving you. And all of your rebellious resistance, and all of your distrust, and all of you buying into the lies of the enemy and slanders that he has made and all your judgment against me, every time, Kurt, you are anxious and worried, that's a judgment against me because I've told you not to worry. I've told you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've given you these promises in my word that I'll always be there. So worry and anxiety is actually pride. It's actually pride that you rather believe the lies of the enemy over what I'm telling you the God of the universe. All your worry is judgment against me. When you worry, you sit on the judgment seat against me. Uh, Matthew 7 says, 
those who judge will be judged, and those who can condemn will be condemned. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And God's like, you're not judging other people, first and foremost, you're judging me with your worry. And that will be measured against you because when you judge me and you're worried, you're not believing that I'm doing what James says. Every, I'm giving you every good and perfect gift. And that's what really sabbatical was showing me. And all the slowdown that me and the rest of the world went on for those three months and in the continuing months, he showed me that he has every good and perfect gift for me and all of us in every moment. And so this year has been actually a great gift. I've had more breakthroughs with God, being with him rather than doing things for him. A few years ago, he gave me, he revealed to me what my, uh, one of my major purposes here on earth was, was to write a book. And I've struggled with that and insecurity. Like, what do I have to offer anyone? After the sabbatical, when I came back, you know, that was one of the things he's revealed to me, what this year of stillness was. He was giving me an opportunity to write. With everything else being slowed down and our church most, mostly being, when we came back, there was nothing pretty much left. So the first day back from my sabbatical, I said to God, what do we do now? I don't, you told me not to worry about what was going to happen after the sabbatical until, until it happened, until the sabbatical was over, just rest. You taught me to rest in a way I've, I've never known before, just being with you. Right, rather than escaping in my, into myself. But now the sabbatical's over, now what? He taught me to live, take each day as it comes and be present with him, be present to his presence in the present, as I like to say it. To just take the day as it comes. Every day, let it let, be present to him in that day and, and seek him for that day only and not worry about the next day. And so the first day back from sabbatical, I'm like, okay, what do we do now? And God said, what was the foundation that you decided to build your whole church community on when you first moved here? That was the question. He likes to, give, he likes to answer things in questions with me. And I see that with Jesus a lot. He asked a lot of questions. When people asked him questions, he responded in questions. And so God was like, yeah, what is the foundation that you decided to build everything on? And I said, prayer. He goes, yeah. So you're starting all over. First day back from sabbatical, there's really nothing left. So you're starting over. Start with prayer. But this time, Kurt, you're not alone. When you moved here, you were alone. You're not anymore. So gather whoever will pray and pray with them. And so that's what we've been doing. Every Sunday night at 5.30, we, whoever will gather on Zoom, we pray together. That's really all that's left of the church community. A few people praying together. And it's enough. And we've seen God show up in power. And what I've learned is, as, he's re as I become more aware, right, it's awareness, acknowledge, ask. And the more aware I've become of God's presence, as I practice every day, asking him, where was your presence for me in the last 24 hours? And I sit and listen. And he reveals those memories. And he shows me where he was. There's where I find God working. Jesus said, my father's always at work, and so am I. And where God is working, you can bet there's power. He's not sending me out there on my own. He's already out there in the world working in 2020. 
that Ryan Reynolds commercial, you know, like where the devil and 2020 are hanging out. But the reality is God is, and his presence is there in the midst of everything going on. And if we will just ask him to show us, where are you? He will. And where he, where he shows us where he's working, it becomes our invitation to step in and join him. That's my invitation to step into power, into his presence, into his power, into the peace, to know that I'm walking in where God is already working. And when we do, we find power and peace in the midst of all the external circumstances. We find power and peace. And these prayer meetings that we've been doing, there's been a lot of power. People have been healed of wounds, emotional, relational wounds that they've had for 40 years. Right? Yeah, it's, you know, (laughs) you went on sabbatical, the church went on sabbatical, and my comfy, cozy world dropped into the abyss. And, of course, the one person I would normally talk to about it was on sabbatical. Yes. Um, And and we thought we had all these arrangements in place, so I would have someone to talk to while you were Mm -hmm. on your break. And then that fell into the abyss as well. (laughs) And I admit it took me about six weeks, too, to also kind of get over my hiding. Well, because I also didn't work during that um, for the first two months that COVID hit, um, because I have asthma and have some breathing issues, and my father was mm. concerned. So, he, you know, he covered all my expenses for me to not work for those two months. So I'm seeing no people. I have no schedule. I can just, I'm sitting there in my room, which uh, <laughs> being alone with my thoughts on that level was probably not a good, was not a good space for me. Mm. Um, to be in, and because I didn't want to deal with it, I did what a nine does best, and I ran. The escape rather <laughs> the, the than escape, the rest. Yeah, the escape rather than the rest. So, it, ironically, we both had about a nice six-week stretch of really running, and, and then, you know, like I, I said last time, God brought a friend in, a brand new friend, and she reached out because, you know, they didn't have a lot of people that they were close to at that point either, because they'd only moved there like a year before. And she's like, let's get together. Like, let's walk every week, pretty much. And, you know, it was amazing how God just kind of stepped that up. And and it became this thing of like, oh, I still have someone to talk to, you know, and his provision in the middle of that. And ironically, (laughs) even before that, I kept having this feeling like, when this is all done, it's not going to be the same. Mm. Like, when Kurt's sabbatical is done, is the church, like, dead? Like, I got to freak out and cry about that mm. <laughs> and have my own um, mourning period beforehand. But it was amazing in the middle of that how God was like, well, am I still, do you believe that I am still going to be there even if this ends? And I was like, yes. He's like, well, then why are you so worried? He's like, I promise you it's not going to be like last time or mm. the time before. <laughs> this right. has become okay. a pattern in my life of... Church community's ending. Ending. Either me having to leave or them Mm. actually ending. He's like, but I'm here. I've got you. And, you know, I'm not leaving you alone. You know, I'm not, you're not going to lose your family just because you lost the church. If that happens. But I'm saying, will you trust that I will be there? Has it been different? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, because we're still talking. That would be a big one. You know, God's been very faithful to show up, and there's been more breakthrough this year, you know, than than any other year we've had. 
And I think and sometimes it really does. It takes that stripping away. And sometimes that dying and that death and that getting buried. <laughs> you know, what do they say? You know, a seed never grows unless it dies. Yeah. Right. Unless it gets buried and it dies. Yep. And, you know, it, is it fun? No. <laughs> Being buried and dying is never fun. That's where my whole sabbatical was. It was three months, and God said, these are the three days that Jesus was in the tomb for you. you this is wow. your time of death, stillness in the tomb, nothing but laying there. And yeah. I hated that idea of dying. Yeah, it, it's not easy, and it's not something that we like to do. We're very much a society as a whole that believes in doing and being and being productive. And you're only a success if you reach certain goals, if your church is so big, or you make this much money, or your life looks a certain way, or you have the right job, or the right car, or the right house. You know, I mean, <laughs> it'd be pretty easy for me to look at my life, and from the outside, it could definitely get labeled, potentially get labeled as a failure. Mm -hmm. I'm still working a fast food job. Mm -hmm. You know, it drives my father absolutely crazy. I'm well aware, um, you know, and there's a lot of people who don't understand why I would choose to put my efforts into ministry and stuff like that, where I'm not getting paid right. at all right. <laughs> for any of it. And the way, only way I can do that is to keep, you know, a short-term, you know, a part-time job that most people kind of look at as a dead-end kind of thing. But there is the... The crux of the matter. What's the definition of productive? Yeah. Here's one of the things that God has really showed me this year. When we look at the idea of escape and rest, it comes from this place where we have to be the ones to define and control the, th the things that, we, you know, that are really God's domain. What is God's domain? This is what it's about, is recognizing what's God's domain and what's ours. Worry and anxiety and all that stuff is built on pride because we're reaching for things that aren't ours to control. Things that we don't get to have a say in. What are the things that we worry about? We worry about tomorrow? Well, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? And we're so poor, we don't have tomorrow. We have no access to tomorrow. We only have today. We don't have access to the past anymore. And we constantly worry and fret and think and hold on to the past, right? What else do we worry about? What other people think, what they will do. If we do this, what is going to be the results? If we think of productivity, we think a lot about results. We have no say over the results of what we do. That will never, ever be our domain. The results, what happens out of our obedience is not our productivity. That's not our de God's definition of productivity for us. His definition of productivity is to come to Him, be with Him, be aware of where we're resisting Him, acknowledge those things, and ask him to show us where he is in our lives. And where he shows us where he is. Go be with him. Go obey. 
wherever God shows shows us he's working, <laughs> go be with him, obey, to go be with him and do the work he's doing with him, and then let it go. Yeah. And have no say over the results. So many times we negotiate with God to find out if I do this, what will be the result? That's pride. That's And that is where we take on, whenever we need to have a say in that, we're taking on too much. We can't carry that. It's yeah. a weight that's too much for us. And that'll crush us. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't know evil. They didn't know that stuff. They they were reaching for things that were, were not theirs to carry, and it crushed them. So this is what this is all about. 2020 is about God stripping away the things that we think we're in control of, that we think we have to carry to show us that he's carrying everything. And all we need to do is ask the question, God, where are you? And then wait and listen for the answers and become aware of the places where we're resisting knowing where he is, acknowledging those things and asking him to show us where he is and then stepping in and obeying. And here's what he does. He shows us where we are, leads us to be with him, and then gives us the things he wants to give us that he's always been giving us, generously giving us. Sometimes it doesn't come in the season or in the way we think it will come. But in God's timing, God's timing is always good. And and what God gives is always good in his timing. And here's what I mean. Remember all the way back when we fasted at the beginning of 2020? Yeah. And God said, don't tell them what you think is going on. Listen to them. What did I think was happening? What did I think God, the direction God was leading us in? House church. Yeah. So our church is meeting for a prayer meeting on Sunday nights at Zoom, whoever's left. But what has God brought you and I into on Sunday mornings? To a house church. With a bunch of... 20-somethings. Yeah. Who all on their own, listening to God, created a house church. And now we get to just participate. Yeah. Which, let's be honest, I think we both needed a slightly longer break in some respects. Isn't that amazing? Like, I, I heard from God in the fasting that he was leading to house church. Didn't happen right away. And there was a whole lot of other things that came first. And I have no say in what happens in that house church. I mean, I get to be there and I get to share what God is showing me. And the house church format is amazing that it's very relational. It's very open to discussion. It looks a whole ton different than most church communities. And I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And this is what 2020 has brought. God has taught me to see where he's working, to ask the question, where are you? See where he is and go be with him rather than me have to figure it out. Me have to figure out how to be productive, quote unquote, Mm. rather than just asking him, God, where are you? Making the time to wait on him for his timing and be obedient to whatever he shows me just for today. Walk in that. And it's it's been a lot of rest. <laughs> I've rested in him more this year than I have in my entire life. Do I, do I have it all together? I will say, clearly say, no, I still wrestle and fight. I still resist him. 
I still have days, even weeks, even especially in the book writing. This is the most challenging thing I've ever done is to write a book, to, to do what Jesus asked me to do, to come down lower still, strip myself down to nakedness and vulnerability and put it there on the paper. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And there's days I run. There's days that I resist. There's days that I don't want it, anything to do with him. And yet, he makes me more, more aware, you know, more aware of my resistance and more uh, ready to give that over to him quicker than I ever have before. So that's 2020 for me in a nutshell. <laughs> An hour long nutshell. <laughs> An hour long nutshell. But yeah. that's a year. That's the year in review for me. So if I could encourage people in your prayer life, ask the question, where are you, God? And make the time to listen. The more we do that, the more he reveals himself. The more we rest and the less we escape. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing. It was nice to not be the one doing all the talking for a change. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that was some really good stuff. And it, I don't know if it's just because we spend so much time together, but that's certainly been a lot of the same things that God has been showing me. I think the only difference was sometimes it was like, God, who are you in this? Mm. Was the yeah. only one I would add on to it. Yeah. Because sometimes that's where the trick comes in when things don't look the way we're expecting them to and we're struggling with a disappointment is, God, who are you in this? Are you still who you say you are? Because I need to see that and experience that now. And then sitting and waiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's certainly the biggest one. And we uh, <clears throat> can't really say that we don't have enough time to do that right now. <laughs> the gift of 2020. For sure. It's been a good talk. It's been good to listen. love hearing your story how God's been moving and working in this year. All right, you closing us out with prayer? Sure. God, who are you to us? And who are we to you? And where are you working for us and all around us? God, I pray that these are the questions that we all keep asking, or start asking, and then keep asking. And not only ask, but make the time to listen, so that we can gain the awareness of who you are, and who we are to you, and where we're resisting all that you're giving us, so that we can acknowledge it, give it over to you, and join you in the work you're doing all around us. God, I pray that that you wake up the sleepers, you open the eyes of our hearts to see your God with us in the midst of 2020, working everything out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, God, for that word in that um, version of that scripture that says you're reconciling, you're taking all these broken pieces, all these pieces that are just contradictions. And 2020 is just a huge, massive puzzle of contradictions. And you're taking all of those pieces 
that don't seem to fit together, and you're reconciling them for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Open our eyes to see. Lead us to make the time to ask and allow you space to answer. Lead us on the upward spiral that is 2020 because you are the father of the heavenly, heavenly lights who's giving us every good and perfect gift in every moment. Help us, give us eyes to see. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kim, for being the interviewer. Yep, I got any time. Actually, no. Let's go back to the other way next time. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, boy. This is good that this is, uh, this is how we're wrapping up 2020, because this is actually the last episode for Life for God Heals for the year. Well, we will return in the new year, so we've got a few weeks break. And uh, we'll be posting it on Facebook and Instagram and things like that uh, for people who are wondering when it starts up again. But this is our the end of our season and uh, of season three. And season four will begin in the new year, just to make sure everyone knows that. All right. Well, uh, Happy New Year. We'll look forward to seeing you in the new year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Hey, before we go, there are a few things you might need to know. If you want to get a hold of us for any reason, if you have questions, you have concerns, you want help with anything, or you want to support what we're doing, you can reach us at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page simply called Life Hurts, God Heals. You can like us, follow us, and then you can make comments or ask questions there. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Take care.